Okay, well, let's get started in a slightly more formal way, even though we were just chit-chatting. Uh, we're very lucky to have uh, Mike Blocko, the global head of workplace and real estate at Uber, um, a client and maybe a friend. We've met a few times, haven't we, Mike? Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. But, uh, but a privilege to have you because your purview is huge. I mean, global head of workplace for a company that operates in, geez, I don't know how many countries. How many countries do you guys operate in? Uh, well over 70 countries and about 600 locations. Wow. Wow. So Notel for you is a tiny part of your uh, workplace portfolio, I guess, but uh, we're pleased to be a partner in some of those places. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess about six weeks ago or eight weeks ago, your job changed. You used to be uh, by the numbers, spreadsheets, locations, efficiency guy, and suddenly you became a, a health and safety official for your company. When, when did it happen? Did it happen like overnight? There was a headline, a management meeting. I mean, it would have been in March, I guess, February. Yeah, so so actually this happened back in January because we, uh, we have a, a large presence in Asia. And as you can imagine, we uh, started to respond basically to uh, the issues that were happening in Asia, Southeast Asia. And uh, coincidentally, you know, in the beginning, it, it was a slow ramp up, you know, with some cons and shutting down offices. But then as things started to change here in the U.S., it, it quickly ramped up. And, you know, I've had to get real smart about uh, epidemiology and all of those things. Uh, the EHS function does roll up to me. But, uh, you know, uh, it's one of those things that one of those functions that it's one of those necessary evils within corporate real estate. You have it and uh, you hope you never really need it. But, um, you know, it's been um, it's been very, very involved with our EHS function these days. Mm -hmm. Employee and, health uh, and safety, which I guess historically yes. was like, do we have defibrillators according to the law in some countries? Do we have egress plans in case of fire safety issues? A lot of compliance stuff in the past. Exactly. And, you know, food safety, those sorts of things. And uh, now it's completely changed and it's on the forefront of uh, our daily work. Yeah. Well, take me through those first few weeks. I presume the first few weeks as the kind of alert comes through in, uh, in January for Asia and then around the world through February and then March. Presumably the first thing you were worried about was maybe it was your your driver partners in the field and your customers maybe just because they're more exposed and they're out there I don't know like what was the sequence of concern because I know at Notel there's like there was a very clear sequence for us the very first one was oh my gosh we're gonna have to shut down offices for hundreds of customers we got to figure that out we're gonna have to respond to the incidents and figure that out and we didn't think our own people were at risk initially and then we had to st suddenly start thinking about oh man we got to shut down our own offices where we got our own people that are doing these services kind of backwards but it's because we're so outward facing you know we sort of felt we were as our own team rather insular and i, I wonder to what extent uh the flow looked uh, similar for you i'd say it was very similar in fact um we set up a global steering committee to really address uh various issues including uh, many of the business issues as we started to um close down offices uh shut down uh, the rides part of the business and uh, really responding to the changing nature of, of the business. Uh, so it uh, a part of one of those uh, work streams that we, we had was, okay, how do you shut down an office? Um, you know, before you shut down an office, we had, a, there was a period of time where you're still, we were still operating in many offices 
uh, around the world. So there's that one period of time where you're still providing hand sanitizers and uh, signage and education. Um, and then, you know, you get the mandate from the government authority and it, it varies around the world uh, and it varied at different times, but uh, that, you know, the shelter in place orders started coming through. And then that was a very different world where you basically shut everything down and you start to work from home. And then uh, from our perspective, we, you know, we had to provide, uh, we had to think about how that was going to operate. And I think everybody's learning it uh, all at once. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we had to improvise very quickly for our customers and you had to think about 600 locations, you said, uh, in sequence, but you more or less had to figure it out on the fly. I wonder if that's a plan you expect to refine and keep on the shelf because you might need it again soon. Um, absolutely. I think we've gotten a lot smarter about um, uh, opening and closing offices. We have a little bit now under our belt, um, particularly because of what happened recently in Asia, um, or in our Singapore office and Hong Kong and Ta in, uh, Taiwan, where we've opened offices. Uh, we've been able to open the office and then have to close it again because there were incidences in the country. So, um, you know, you, we, it's just practice like anything else. You get better at opening and closing offices and, uh, and setting up those protocols. So I think we've gotten a lot smarter uh, since then. Uh, incident response was kind of a critical thing early on uh, when we sort of naively hoped that, you know, one person might have it in a building and we could just contain it there. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of tracking or tracing capability with many companies, uh, certainly not any testing capability. Um, if and when you have a shutdown again or an incident again, where maybe it's not fully a shutdown, but somebody who got off a plane from a place and one of your staff, uh, have you yet had a chance to process how you might do some version of corporate track and trace, more or less? We have, we have, we have, um, you know, a, uh, basically a, a global team that is just absolutely tracking uh, those incidences. We're tracking, uh, you know, how we open an office, all our open offices, our closed offices, our partially opened offices. Um, so we are we're tracking um, absolutely incidents tracking uh, at every level. Are you going to be able to track an individual person and who else was in the building that day? Outside business partners that are around. Um, to the extent that they self-report, I mean, you know, we we can only do so much. You know, there's obviously uh, personal security issues that uh, we can't uh, cross the line on, but. You know, our main concern is really the health and safety of our employees and our driver partners. We always put that first. Mm -hmm. Work from home is happening, I guess, for your staff globally right now. Is every sort of mm -hmm. desk staff at home or do you have folks that really need to be in there somewhere? Pretty much everyone is working from home. I mean, I, there's... Um, you know, everyone got sent back. It's really following the government mandates around the world. Um, you know, some of these shutdowns are more severe than others, but uh, to my knowledge, everyone is working from home, except mm -hmm. for the countries that are being turned back on and opened. Um, I assume that you historically, uh, with Uber and then within your prior roles, track utilization of an office workspace. Um, and if you're similar in your experience to what I've seen from other global corporates, it's somewhere between 80% and as low as 60%, as, uh, as I've observed, you know, like a consulting firm or something has like 60% utilization, maybe 50. Your normal business as of December last year, back when there was a 
something called normal um, might have been at 80% utilization, which in my observation is um, we were already in a hybrid work from home world. We just didn't really fully recognize it. You could show up to a meeting and one out of the six people be in person, they'd be on video. I wonder if you think that's true. And if you're at zero now, do you think on the other end, you're gonna have a, a big change in that utilization? Um, I think so. I think a couple of things are gonna change. One is, um, you know, all this working from home in the last uh, six weeks around the world, for, for most of us around the world, has kind of changed the paradigm a little bit. One, it's changed it from the standpoint of where you find talent. So in the past, you know, the, you're so used to hiring somebody and you want them close to you, you want them physically close to you. I think that paradigm's been shattered. And now the ability to work with remote teams and remote individuals is completely changed. So from that perspective, it's much easier now, at least in your mind, to work with folks that are completely scattered around the world. So you're not focused, you don't have to get everybody that lives in Silicon Valley. I mean, we know, look, we live in Silicon Valley, you know, there's always a prejudice to just to hire everybody from here. But if you can find talent in Canada, you can find them in Asia, you can find them everywhere, anywhere. So it's, it's made that change a lot easier. So the net effect is, you know, it is changing your utilization of space. You don't need um, as much in one location. I see, but yeah, I mean, you're sort of describing decentralization or are some of those workers simply remote? I guess it's an interesting question because there has been a trend over the last few years, especially in very dense hot markets where companies have been thinking, hey, I need a second city, a third city, where I can start concentrating and recruiting uh, another cluster of people, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, Austin, Texas or something. And um, is that what you have in mind? Or do you rather mean that actually managers are going to be comfortable where 10 or 20% of their reports are just anywhere in the world and they're always on video and they're not even in an Uber workplace in Toronto or Austin? Yes to both. I mean, mm -hmm. I think all, we're going to soon see, but I'd say yes to both. I think people have become intuitively much more comfortable with uh, working remotely and working from home. Mm -hmm. uh, and the hybrid nature of work, if one out of seven people in a meeting in December would have been on video, typically, um, maybe when we get back, it'll be two out of seven or three out of seven or something like that. Does that mean you got to rejigger your workplaces a bit to make them even more sort of remote friendly video conference, that kind of stuff? I'd say so. Yes, absolutely. Now, we had the advantage of, you know, we were one of the early adopters of Zoom. In fact, we were one of their largest, you know, initial clients. So um, we've enabled almost all our workplaces, you know, with, with Zoom early, early on. Um, and it's sort of how people were working beforehand anyway. We're just now doing more of it. Mm -hmm. Is Zoom all there is to it? I mean, Zoom is obviously one of the, the big headlines of the last few months. Um, but is that all that all there is to get this kind of hybrid work from home to be effective? No, no. I think it was also the fact that you know we're we're just very distributed, just the nature of our business. So you you're used to working at odd hours, you know, whether it's in Asia or Europe or or in the West here. So it's just that was always just part of the business. So you would mm -hmm. you know take calls at weird times from home. So I think everyone got used to that type of environment. Um, Zoom was the enabling technology, but I think even within the building, um, just in the interest of time, and within a campus, people would Zoom into calls, even yeah. though they might be in a building down the street or on another floor. So it became 
you know, we started seeing more of that even before the crisis. Yeah, and, and so it's partly cultural, as you say, just about managerial and, and colleagues' expectations on who's going to be there, time that a meeting might happen, format the meeting might happen. There must be other tools as well that are perhaps not directly in your purview, but you must see them as very popular around Uber among your colleagues. I mean, engineers have been so remote for so long. Uh, it's been the diffusion of some of those things like you know GitHub or real-time chat uh, into other into other teams. Um, so presumably shared documents, whether you use Microsoft 365, Office 365, or Google Docs, or do you use Microsoft Teams? Do you use Slack? Do you use, uh, like, what are some of your other most most used for business process tools? Sure, it's, it's predominantly, I mean, within, um, within Uber, it's predominantly uh, the Google products and then uh, mm -hmm. Slack in terms of the, uh, the internal. Mm -hmm. And then also within Workplace, we've, um, we leverage a lot of the, the CBRE um, products, which are off-the-shelf products. But uh, predominantly, we've been able to do something called the need-to-we process, where we've sort of outlined our end-to-end -end process for delivering all services. And uh, mm -hmm. that's greatly streamlined um, how we deliver services enabled through technology. Um, do you see yourself as having more than 600 locations in a year or fewer? on this point of decentralization and remote? Boy, it's, it's hard to say. I'd say it's, we, we're gonna know in the next few months, you know, as the economy's stabilizing around the world. But, uh, um, you know, I would say is having a distributed, continuing to have a more of a distributed workforce around the world. Um, you know, right now it's so hard to, to plan and predict anything in terms of uh, growth or making any long-term bets until really all these economies around the world start to stabilize and, and our business platform stabilizes. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of two things happening at the same time, right? And uh, the immediate moment is just pure health and safety type crisis. And if you sort of imagine, you know, perhaps optimistically, when we're on the other end and the economy is fine, uh, the health and safety issue will still be a thing and it may have rejiggered your map. So if you imagine, you know, you're running your business and everything's in uh, sunny day mode, but you have learned a lot of lessons from this period. Um, in that scenario, so not up down economy, do you imagine more or fewer locations, bigger or smaller locations? Certainly they'll be more remote, but you might still have an office in Dublin, even though you have some folks who live in the countryside don't come to office. Yeah, I, I would say there's probably gonna be larger and fewer remote sites. Um, you know, I think, uh, and then the work from home piece will obviously be a big, bigger factor than it probably was today. So, um, I mean, I just intuitively see that kind of the direction we were going, that may get accelerated now because uh, it's easier to make the argument that you don't need to have everybody here, here being I the see. Yeah, Right, right, right. So you trim locations that have like 10 people or 20 people and you try to concentrate as much as possible in those 500 person or 1,000 person allow work from home in right. those marginal areas. Exactly. Right. We were on that path anyway, and I think um, intuitively this will probably accelerate some of that because there's, there's the, the strategy has always been, look, you can have these big hubs, which is great. The hard part is getting uh, managers to hire in those hubs if, when you have a distributed and remote work staff. Like the, uh, yeah. 
on the nature of these workplaces, so you know, at some point we're going to go back and it's going to be um, in a staged kind of way. Uh, and some of my colleagues in some geographies, you know, they're already having folks ask for pretty detailed go back plans. And I'd say there's probably a few phases here. The first one is going back, and then the next one is being back. And thinking about both those steps separately perhaps is, is worth worthwhile. We spoke about the third phase, which will be shutting back down. I mean, so that may well happen in some countries, some cities. But going back, um, what do you think that's going to look like? Pick a city or a country, you know, whenever it is safe to do so, will you send back 100% of your staff to the exact same workspace they were in? Like, how will it, how will it stage back in? Sure, sure. Great. No, that's a great question. So. Um, you know, we've had over the last few weeks, you know, we've been able to develop a, a playbook and a protocol for how we're going to go back to work. So we have a big initiative around BRP, business resumption planning. And uh, there's really about five big components to that. If you think about it, um, it's, a, it's a phasing. But the first phase, the first thing that has to happen is that you get a trigger. And the trigger is some government authority saying, we're going to open up the country or open up the city um, or open up the state. And it's, it's complicated because um, you, you can see it here in the U.S. I mean, federal government says one thing, state government says something else, and the city says something else. We're very focused on the city. At the end of the day, you know, it's this, the city requirements are the ones that usually rule in, in most cases. So that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that within this playbook is that we set a date. So if the date, if the government says you can open as of May 1st, we're usually going to be a few days or a week or so afterwards. So, you know, and that's based on a list of criteria that we've developed to open an office. What needs to happen to ensure the safety of our employees? And there's a cons piece that goes out after, with all of that. And then um, we, uh, we, we've basically made the decision to have about 20% of the workforce uh, come in that initial phase. Um, and the reason for 20% is that it's a manageable number. You know, you have to think about that first phase is where you could have an incidence. And if you do have an incident, you got to shut down the office. That's what we've learned from many of our offices in, in Asia and, um, and where else we've opened. So uh, you're just exposing a lot less people. And then the uh, other thing that has to happen to open the office is we have a team, our facilities management team and our EHS team goes out and you know preps the office so the first thing they do is they talk to the landlords okay just because the, the you know you have to have an agreement that the landlord's even going to open the building and in multi-tenant situations you know you're you want to make sure that everything is ready you know elevators the uh, mm -hmm. everything is working properly and all the safety precautions are done in those common areas and then we develop our own within our own space to basically provide hand sanitizers, uh, signage, all those things, putting an X, you know, we're, we're basically segregating the offices, the open space and the conference room space to provide that six feet of social distance space. And what we've learned in many of the initial sites that we've opened is we basically, you know, just put an X with tape at every other desk to maintain that distance. So, um, so that's kind of what we're doing. And then the last piece in, is the tracking piece, obviously. So we have to track uh, what offices are going to open at a global level. And we're seeing this happen, um, you know, sort of more as a trickle than anything else. Um, you know, in Europe, we're starting to see some offices opening. And um, we've made a conscious decision to wait until um, 
the end of the month to open those offices, even though uh, I think it was in the Netherlands and maybe in uh, Denmark that uh, we were allowed to open as of yesterday. But uh, you're seeing that happen more and more, you know. Yeah, so 20% on the first day and you let it soak for a bit. Will, do you think you'll do shift where folks rotate around for the first initial period where on any given day there's only 20%, but they may not be the same folks? Or do you think Correct. it's sort of ramp so, up from 20 to 40 to 60? Exactly. So it's really yeah, exactly that. It's a three-phase approach. And the time frames are somewhat fluid at this point. So it could be the first week or week and a half. It's 20%. There's 20% of the staff. So that staff could be changing every day. You know, mm -hmm. it could be Joe and Sally showing up uh, on Monday, Tuesday, and then Joe and someone else showing up on Thursday, Friday. So, yeah, and you're going to use, I guess, it. you'll use some kind of informal, um, you know, sort of uh, compliance on that. Like you're not going to badge people for no access on a certain day. It'll, it'll sort of be through the managerial flow where it's like, listen, guys, we got to keep it at 20%. Please don't bring more than this many. Make sure you assign who's coming and not coming. I mean, how, how do you make sure that it's accurate or complied with? Well, yeah, and it, there's been a lot of discussion about that, but for us, it's been really putting, enabling our managers to make those decisions on who can come into the office. It's a prioritization. So, you know, there are certain functions that may not need to come in for months, uh, yeah. certain GNA functions, but there are other core critical functions yeah. that uh, need to be together. And it's really at the discretion of those managers. You know, they're allotted a certain amount of people. So mm -hmm. if it's, if we have three business units, each manager gets, I don't know, 30 people to, to bring in and they can figure out who they want to bring in. All right. So there's like a staged return back in, but then there's being back for the next phase. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked a little bit about it, but maybe, I mean, are you thinking about redesigning the workspaces themselves so that once you're sort of staging your way back in one to two months, maybe three months from now, it's not ex tape on the table, but you've actually just redesigned the cafeteria, changed the conference rooms around, like, how hardcore are you going to be on on redesign? Uh, we're that, that's all pretty fluid at this point, but yes, we're we're thinking about it, um, and you know, we kind of laid out some initial plans to think about how that that could work. A lot of it also has to do with shift work, you know. And mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, not everybody needs to come in. We're thinking more about it in terms of how you move a population through a building. Um, it doesn't have to be the same population. You can do this thing in terms of shifts, having much more flexibility in terms of hours of operation and, uh, and days of operation. So mm -hmm. um, what we're trying to do is put the employee first. You know, what this crisis has done is basically disrupted the personal lives uh, of many of our employees. And you see this, and it's not just Uber, it's, it's, it's everywhere. So, you know, folks have to deal with child care and elder care and many other things that have been completely disrupted which are outside the work environment. So what we're trying to do is create much more flexibility for our employees in terms of when they work and how they get their work done as long as they get it done. So the implication is on the workspace is that longer term, yes, we probably will see much more um, look, you know, segregation of employees to some degree, but we don't also want to have a knee-jerk reaction to, to develop something that could look like an 80-style yeah. cubicle farm you yeah, know, yeah, we don't do that. That's not, yeah. that doesn't help anybody, so. Right, I mean, the answer is unclear. At Notel, it's a little bit our obligation to get into it and start thinking about it in these last 
few weeks, a bunch of our teams have been thinking about a concept called the antiviral office. So what's gotta be different? You probably need to manage density. You do need to redesign for a kind of professional distancing concept. There's a different cleaning protocol for different spaces. Um, there will be roles for technology in managing density and maybe even doing heat, you know, checking people's temperatures or, or exposure. And there might even be some kind of contact tracing sort of thing. I mean, it certainly is crossing a Rubicon in terms of companies and personal privacy, but if, you're, if your colleagues were on vacation in some place and nobody knows about it and now they're in the office, like suddenly that, that became a vivid thing. And um, we have not yet seen companies, our customers anyway, take a really clear view on what they want to do. So I think you're, 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 you're like a lot of the, the leading thinkers here, uh, but folks sort of have an itch that they feel like something yeah, I think we're taking a, a much more phased approach to this because, I mean, literally everything is changing. I mean, I was even having this conversation six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. I mean, I could not, I couldn't have imagined it. I mean, so, you know, the implications on the workplace, yeah, they're going to be significant. But also, let's not forget that as testing ramps up, as especially the antibody test, you know, and if, you know, you get a, a card or a certificate that says you mm -hmm. have the antibody, then you know, you could think about this maybe going back to a more of a traditional work style and how things were in the past. Now, are they ever going to be 100% the, the old way? Probably not. But, no, um, no. Let's talk a little bit about the commercial problems that we're all going to face now. Um, you know, the health and safety stuff is so primary and it really hits directly the workplace, but we're about to go through a really difficult period, right? I mean, you guys have had to essentially shut your business and had a huge reduction in demand all around the world and a lot of us are all trying to hang in there. There's intense sort of anxiety among vendors and partners and everyone. I mean, I see it all day long in our business. I mean, I, I, what, what have you been seeing? What are the like, what do you expect in terms of how many quarters? And I mean, you're, I know you guys are going to do your own public facing things, but what, what have you been experiencing? What does it feel like inside the company uh, as you have an, you know, something that's never happened before? I think um, I think what we're seeing is that you know with every crisis there's opportunities. So it's it's basically a rethinking of uh, aspects of the business where we can um, you know where we can thrive. So um, you know there's that part of it. I think morale overall is 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 pretty good. Um, there's obviously concerns around uh, you know going back to work uh, with uh, you know childcare and those sorts of things and again that's what i mentioned earlier is we're trying to address those by providing a much more of a flexible work environment and work mm -hmm. uh, style but i'd say overall i think i think people are, are pretty enthusiastic about coming back i mean we see uh, a light at the end of the tunnel you know this conversation was maybe two weeks ago it had been a, a much darker scenario i think now that we are looking at Two weeks from now, maybe in California, and maybe four weeks in New York. Or, uh, there is a there is an end at this thing, and we're seeing more of a, a positive trend around the world. You know, as parts of Europe come back online in Asia, it's going to be you a must slower trickle. You must have asked yourselves the question. Uh, you know, like e-commerce, for example. This is the starring moment for e-commerce. Uh, if e-commerce was whatever you know, fourteen percent of retail before it's probably gonna have a step function increase afterwards. It'll be 18 or 20% on the other end of this. Um, and perhaps there's a transformative effect in the cards for, for your business as well. I mean, mass transit doesn't feel so safe anymore. Um, yeah. 
maybe there's just a like a basic shift in demand? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, we're we're looking at that, and you know, obviously our Uber Eats business has has taken off. I mean, it's been oh, yeah. um, there's much more growth in food delivery. Uh, the freight business, our Uber freight business, has done very well. Um, you know, in mm -hmm. enabling and helping you know communities uh, move products and goods around the country and around the world. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to prognosticate, uh, like my self-interested question would be uh, a year or two years from now, flex versus leases in the workplace world, uh, does it benefit from this thing or does it not benefit? Well, it, it's hard to say right now because, you know, when I talk to my peers and, and ourselves, I mean, we're not looking at making any long-term bets right now until we get a much better view of where the economies are going. But mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, the demand for flexibility is going to be there, absolutely going to be there. I mean, if I was to think about beyond this short-term um, horizon and, you know, just addressing what the immediate needs are with around uh, health and safety and getting people back to work, if you're thinking about six months, a year down the road, I'd say absolutely the demand for flexibility is going to be paramount uh, no matter where we go. Because it's a, we're in a much more uncertain world. So with yeah. uncertainty you're not going to be wanting to make a longer term bet, you know, a five to 10 year bet when, you know, businesses are being somewhat, every business is greatly impacted. Now it doesn't have to be a, a pandemic. It could just, I think this is going to trigger a lot more um, uncertainty in the market. And, you know, with that comes, you know, not wanting to make a long-term bet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't expect this. I don't think anyone did, but, it certainly has made clear certain things about the world we live in, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. the roles that some services and tools can have. It has been uh, a great pleasure to have you. Uh, there are zillions of observers here that I'm sure uh, really appreciated uh, hearing how you're thinking about this. I know business leaders around the world are having to figure out what to do, and you being willing to share a little bit how you're um, thinking about it is really appreciated. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. All right, I guess people are leaving. You can feel free to tune out. See you later, Mike. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.